Hey there, it's Phil Harwood. Just want to take a quick minute before we begin today's podcast episode and talk to you about our live and in-person events. We had three events scheduled for 2021. We've already had two of them. Our Inner Circle, sponsored by VentTrack event, was very well attended and was a great event. And uh, just recently, we had our Forum for Sales event, sponsored by SnowX, sold out. Uh, We had a great event there as well. We have one more event coming up. It's called Grounds in Institutional Management. It's really focused on site um, issues, operations, engineering, equipment, everything having to do with with running a snow event and planning for events. This is going to be September 8th and 9th at Milton Cat in Milford, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. So we hope to see you there. Registration is open right now at snowfightersinstitute.com. Welcome to the Snowfighters Institute podcast where we hear directly from some of the most interesting people in the professional snow and ice management industry to learn about their successes, to hear about the challenges they faced along the way, and to have their perspective on critical issues facing our industry today. I'm your host, Phil Harwood. Before I introduce today's special guest, I'd like to invite you to follow our social media feeds And check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. Well, hey, everyone. Our special guest today is Neil Glatt. Neil is the managing partner of Grow the Bench and Snowfighters Institute. He also has a thriving coaching and speaking business, and you can learn more about that at neilglatt.com. Neil has one of the most fascinating stories, I think, in the snow industry, and I really think you're going to enjoy hearing about the man, the myth, the legend, Neil Glatt. So, Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Awesome. I want to hear about where you came from, because you didn't really grow up in a particularly snowy climate, did you? No, I I was uh, born and raised in Southern California, just north of Los Angeles, and uh graduated high school out there and then i moved to michigan's upper peninsula for college at northern michigan university what did you study uh i studied marketing and spanish and uh of course also got my first exposure to snow because i think one year i was up there we got about 300 inches in a season (laughs) so yeah it's a little snowy up there isn't it it can be yep yeah, what would that compare to if you if you you were in Marquette, Michigan, right, mm-hmm. where Northern yep. Michigan was, or if you drew a line, you know, across the country, where does that is that like Minneapolis? Uh, yeah, but more snow than there because we had the lake effect. So right, right. Um, you know, I, I know up here in in New England where I'm at now, uh, some parts of Interior Maine a little bit, but not really. Um. You know, I think Erie, Pennsylvania gets kind of close to that, but not as much. So somewhere up in upstate New York near the lakes, maybe. But yeah. So back in California, I mean, there obviously there's lots of snow up in the mountains and everything. Sure. But did you ever see a snow operation and ever think that you would be involved in? 
being part I, of a professional snow and ice management company. <laughs> it didn't ever occur to me that you needed to do anything with snow and ice. Right? Like I saw it from miles away on the mountaintops and that was about it. So Right, right. Well, what about during college? What did you, you know, you studied um, business and Spanish and and what were you thinking at the time? What were you hoping to do with your career, you know, based on those uh, choices? So all I knew that I wanted to do was sell. Um, I didn't really care what it was. I wanted to go into sales and uh, I wanted to get out there, compete, you know, drive numbers, um, drive business and kind of kind of write my own ticket as far as that goes. So I'm kind of your um, prototypical sales guy, right? Like give me an opportunity to sell, give me an opportunity to make money. I want to go crush those numbers. And, um, it wasn't, it wasn't clear to me where that would be, um, towards the end of my career or college career, I started to think about pharmaceutical sales as an opportunity. Um, but this was also 2008, 2009, um, when I was graduating. And so the economy was, was terrible. Nobody was hiring. Um, and, and I had a really hard time kind of breaking into anything, uh, without, you know, having experience. So you grew up in an area where there's no snow. You go to college in northern Michigan where there's gobs of snow, but you never thought twice that you'd end up working in the snow. In- you probably didn't even know there was a snow industry, although you probably saw some crazy equipment up there on campus, like cleaning off sidewalks and stuff, right? Yeah, people would plow it, but it still didn't occur to me, like, you can get paid and make a living doing this. Right, right. And then your first job in sales is with a landscape company that does snow removal. So what was that like? Yeah, so I, I started in the summer. So I was selling, you know, $25 lawn cuts and trying to compete with every high school kid who had a lawnmower. And then snow operations started going. And um, I, I was learning all of this for the first time, right? So I was up all night. I was seeing the routing happening. I was starting to understand the forecast and the planning. And um, strategically, it started to really appeal to me, right? I loved the the rush. I loved the, the competitiveness of where's everybody at? How are you going to make it all happen? How are you going to beat the clock and um, and get it all done? And um, I got I got pretty decent at, at that kind of routing and problem solving and, and customer service stuff. Um, and I just love the rush of it. Yeah. So, um, one of the things I wanted to um, hear about is your sales training. Cause I, you know, I had a similar, um, background in college, you know, having a marketing degree, they, they don't teach sales techniques no. in college. Right. <laughs> they teach you about marketing strategy and segmentation and research and the four P's and all that theoretical stuff, which is all cool. It's great foundational stuff, but they don't teach you to, to sell. And so you went through some sales training. Tell us about that. Yeah. So this was, um, my second year in the industry, uh, after I'd left that landscape company and got, got hooked up with, uh, Jason over at K snow. Um, we got, we hired Kirk Armstrong as a sales trainer and he was with Sandler at the time. And Sandler, for those of you who don't know, is just a, a sales system. And there's many, and there's many good ones. Uh, I happen to think Sandler's one of the better ones. And started doing some training. And, um, you know, I'd sold stuff before. Like when I was, I don't know, 13, 14 years old, 
I used to sell popcorn when I was in Boy Scouts and I'd be the county's top salesperson. And so I had all this hustle and drive and, and um, desire to sell, right? Uh, but then I started to learn the techniques and learn the system. And um, Kirk told me, he goes, you know, you're, you're doing really well at this because you don't have any bad habits or bad thought, like you're fresh out of college, you're a blank slate. Right. Right. And, and, and being able to take that and learn it. And again, I, I had a passion for sales. It was, it was my craft, my profession more than anything else. And so taking and running with that was, was awesome. Where did that come from, Neil? What what what's what's drive what drove the passion for sales? It seems like a especially as a younger person, like, you know, some people really don't like sales. What what is it about sales that you you enjoy? <laughs> a lot of people really don't like sales, right? <laughs> you know, um innately I'm all about uh winning. I like achieving. Um and I also like making an impact. And to me, sales is an opportunity to make an impact, right? So it's not just, can you win, but certainly you can keep score in sales more than other types of jobs. Um, so I, I enjoy that aspect of it. But then at the end of the day, you're really helping people, right? Um, I've got this product or this service that I truly believe is better than most people have um, that will provide better value for the customer and nobody even knows about it yet, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, you know, I like to watch Shark Tank a lot and you see all these better mouse traps that just never right. go anywhere, right? And, and you can have the most brilliant people create the most brilliant solutions, but it just doesn't, not, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do any good for anybody until it's sold. And so I just see sales as the catalyst and the core um, to, to business. And to me, salespeople make it happen at least make it happen first yeah well you mentioned jason and case snow and i want to talk about that in a minute but um what does neil do in his spare time like what are your hobbies what are you into um, when you're not working and not selling I, <laughs> when i'm not selling <laughs> you know i was i was recently on vacation i read a sales book so that was fun um but uh i like to travel um i like to volunteer uh i like to I like to coach outside of the traditional areas. So um, several years into a project right now, um, helping people in Madagascar uh, start businesses and, and we're working on establishing a microfinance organization. Um, I've done some running. I don't know if I enjoy it, but I guess you would call it a hobby. Um, and uh, I'm a big LA Dodgers fan. So mm -hmm. those are, those are probably my top three things. How did you get involved in going to Madagascar? That sounds crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, the opportunities just sort of lined up in a way where I think I was supposed to be there. Um, my my church got involved in building up churches over there, and and by extension, doing community development. And at the time, I was kind of identified or standing out as, as a leader. And I'd grown up doing international missions, um, my whole life. Um, so, you know, I, sometimes I think that, um, it's not something I, I tried to go find, right. Um, not even sure I could have told you where Madagascar was before I looked it up. Mm. Um, but, uh, it, it seems like the right opportunity 
to really make a difference for people. And um, so it, it all came together that way. Yeah. And then I know you um, you ran the Boston Marathon twice to mm-hmm. raise money for charity. Tell us about what, what that was like and what was the charity and how much money did you raise? And Yeah, the, the charity um, <clears throat> is called Silver Lining Mentoring. Uh, they work with youth in foster care um, throughout the greater Boston area. And so um, foster care is a highly um, transient, highly disruptive uh, situation for, for youth, um, very inconsistent, uh, adult figures in their life. Um, whenever a caseworker changes, whenever, uh, you know, a court appointed lawyer changes, um, it's just another adult figure who kind of was around while they were paid to be, and then disappears on, on whoever it is. So, um, foster care can really create a lot of trauma for, for, uh, someone growing up. And, and this is their development, so developmental stage where they really need continuous support and consistency and life skills development. So um, the, the charity provides mentors, um, a little like big brothers, you know, big sisters, which people are familiar with, um, but I, I think kind of to the next level. Um, when I started, I had to make a 12 month commitment to volunteer and meet uh, 10 hours per month with, um, the youth I was paired up with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really cool charity, really phenomenal charity. Um, between the two years, I raised about 30,000 or over $30,000 for them. Um, and, uh, what was it like? It was really hard, really, really hard to mm-hmm. run a marathon. Um, and I got kind of bad weather my first year. So that was extra tough. Yeah. You also like baseball, don't you? Love baseball, big Dodger fan. So, twenty twenty is the is the only year I've been alive. I won't have attended a Dodgers game in person. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, love making making my way around. Um, about ninety percent of my way through visiting every ballpark, and uh, yeah, big fan of Dodgers. Well, I also know you're an Eagle Scout, and you're mm-hmm. involved in student government, and you're involved in associations, sit on committees. So mm-hmm. you got a, you got a lot going on, Neil. And I'm trying to f- what trying to figure out what drives you. Where does all this come from? Where does all this energy and drive come from? You, you know, um, I think that we're here to make an impact, and uh, that that can mean a lot of different things and take a lot of different forms. But um, for me, it's all about what am I doing that's, that's productive? And what am I doing with my time? You know, my, my running coach, the very first time that I met him, um, as I was huffing and puffing to jog a 10th of a mile, (laughs) um, he, he turned to me and he said, you know, your ability to walk is a gift. And for the better part of your life, you've been taking that for granted and you're never ever to do that again. He goes, you have this, this chance that not everybody has to use what you've been gifted with to make a difference in the world. Hmm. And that really made an impact on me. And uh, I think that we all have lots of gifts, Um, you know, just our ability to, um, you know, walk is a great example. Um, We have a gift of time. Um, We have a gift of of influence. We have a gift of experiences and um, what drives me is my, my passion to use my gifts to make a difference for other people because it's the only thing that matters. Yeah, and you've really set yourself up um, 
in your current state with the businesses that you're involved in to be able to do that. And, and we'll talk about those in a minute here. But you, um, your first career after college was really in the professional snow and ice and in landscape industry initially there. Uh, maybe not so much with uh, case snow management, but that was about 10 years, 11 years, something like that, right? Before uh, I you... was, Yeah, I was with case uh, for seven years. Okay. All right. That was a first career and you since have retired from that and moved on. Um, but what was it like to work with, with uh, the team at case snow management? What, what are some of your best memories from that experience? You know, um, the team was awesome. Uh, I don't know if everybody's had this experience where you work on a team that is so high performing, where there's so much trust, where you're not afraid to get into conflict um, and where everybody is so driven to accomplish something. Uh, But that was the experience. And um, I don't know if I'll ever be part of a team that was that high functioning again, you know, Mm. Um, and so, uh, getting to work with, with Jason and Bill and, and Katie, um, and, and lots of other people who, who came and went over the years, but those three were really consistent, um, was just so cool. And, um, you know, back in the day, it was just the four of us in a basement, right. And we had other staff, but, um, that was it for, for years. And, uh, growing it into what it what it became by the time I left was quite the journey. Yeah. Any like really standout memories? Uh there's so many. I mean, sure. you know, when when I started, we serviced like, I don't know, two counties, right? And um by the time I left, I remember, you know, we were we were flying across the country to meet with clients. Um I was setting up um, operations in, uh, New York city and, and Jersey and long Island. And, um, uh, you know, I remember back in the day when it was like, well, I remember a very specific argument we had, we had a lot of arguments and, and they were always in, <laughs> they were, they were always productive and they were always super positive experiences. So, uh, I know some company cultures don't, don't embrace it, but we were having this really big argument and it was all cool about, doing snow on Cape Cod and Cape Cod was like 45 minutes from where we were. And the way we were arguing about it was like, we were trying to go to the moon, right? Like how could you possibly manage snow over there? And uh, you know, now by the time I left, I think we're in like a dozen States or something. right? (laughs) So um, you figured it out. Yeah. Just, just the contrast of, of what we thought and our ability to, um, grow that. And, you know, every year was like a whole different business and a whole different mindset and a whole different set of challenges. So, um, I remember very clearly, um, the, the period of time when we became ISO SN 9001 certified, we were the first company to earn the snow version of, of ISO 9001. And, um, it was like, we have to do what, right? Like we were, I mean, my first winter, I was the call center. I was just in the office. Mm. I had a phone. I would sleep at my desk. When the phone rang, I'd wake up and answer it. Um, I remember these shovelers walking into the office being like, like not shovelers, like random guys. And they're like, hey, we heard we can shovel for money. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, yeah, cool. Like, like just woke up. And I'm like, 
uh, here's a site. Go here, uh, shovel all night, and then come back, and we'll like figure out paperwork and stuff. And Bill nice. came in the morning. I'm like, I hired these guys. Uh, I don't know. They're... He's like, did you get anything from them? I'm like, no, I don't know their names or like we'll pay them later, I guess, you know? So um, basically just about, I think just about every single struggle that somebody can encounter or every situation that somebody encounters in the snow business I've been through. I know what it's like. Um, You know, some people think it was like established and professional and locked down from day one. It was like, no, man, we, we started from basically nothing and um, figured it out along the way. So to me, when I look back on my career, like that's, what's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You, you, you saw that whole evolution. Mm -hmm. What, what, what was happening the year that you, uh, were selected as the SIMA Employee of the Year. And I, I can't remember what year that was, 2010 maybe, something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, so that was, after, that was after my first winter with Case. Okay, and okay. So I started with Case in like uh, early July, and um, we got you know ramped up and did our sales and started to prepare. And it was a pretty heavy year from Boston, um, historically speaking. I don't know, um, not quite double average snowfall. Um, and, uh, there was, um, a lot of roof shoveling happening at the time because some roofs were starting to collapse and, and really more than a lot of snow, what it was is we had a, a good amount of snow and then, uh, it warmed up a little bit and there was some mm-hmm. rain and the snow just kind of absorbed all the water. Oh, yeah. Nothing was draining off. And it was, uh, lots of very warm and lots of extreme cold kind of back and forth. So it was creating a lot of problems. And so we were getting calls for, for roof shoveling and um, had never encountered it before. Right. Didn't even realize it was a thing, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Custom- something you don't think about, right. Yeah. We're plowing right? parking lots. Never thought exactly. about going on the roof. Exactly. So uh, we didn't know what that was all about, but the customers were asking for it and we're like, yeah, let's go get that money. You know, let's go help the customer. Um, so we tried to and uh, made a lot of mistakes. Thank God nobody got hurt. Um, but again, this was our first chance, like going to another state. Customer called, so I got properties in Connecticut. Can you send down a bus? I, I remember I got this call because I was I was driving down to um, Providence Airport from the office to rent a van to start moving shovelers around locally, right? Now, mind you, I wasn't old enough to rent the van myself. So I was just taking care <laughs> of the credit card and nice. the paperwork for one of our employees to actually get the van. And I was driving back in my car and it was like six o'clock at night on a Friday. And Jay called me and he goes, hey, you won't believe what this customer just asked. They want us to go to Connecticut to shovel roofs because I told him they were crazy. And I said, why? Like, wh- why couldn't we? Don't we have people who are like willing to go? And he goes, well, I can, he goes, I think, like, I think this guy's got a crew and can send them down, but we have no, like, they can't, they don't have cars. They have no way to get there. And I said, let me see if I can find a bus. And I, I started calling around from the road on my cell phone and I found a bus company and somehow convinced this guy to like bring over the bus and drive down to Connecticut, like a three hour drive and stay <laughs> nice. there, stay there with the shovelers. And he's like, how long do we need to be there? I don't know, right? Like, I don't know what the days. scope is. Yeah, three days, maybe a week. I'm not sure, you know? 
And and for some reason, the bus company like went for it. And um, I called Jay back. I was like, so we got this bus. It's going to be here tomorrow at 8 a.m. And he's like, well, I got the guys. So I guess we're doing this. And we all met in the parking lot and this bus rolled in and it's like this gorgeous bus with like leather. It's the bus the Patriots drive to like oh, wow. go around, right? Super nice. top of the and um we had all these shovelers there and they signed up and they had duffel bags and they drove and we had hotels and it's just one crazy thing after another. And the client was like, Whatever expenses you incur, we'll take care of. And we trusted them. We had a good report with the customer. And we trusted our, our guys and we just, just explored one step at a time. Right. And again, we made mistakes, stuff happened. It was not catastrophic. It was not like the best experience ever, but we learned so much through that process. And there's no, it's, it's that to me, that story that, that captures like the essence of our attitude about stuff. We're like, we don't know, but we're going to try it. We're, we're gonna we're gonna jump off this cliff and build our wings on the way down and trust each other not to bail on this project halfway through yeah and and it was a it was a lot of hard work I've made I, I've screwed up bigger than most people have had opportunities to screw up um but you know we as as big as the failures were or the successes were always bigger because that's what happens when you're paying attention and learning from your experience right Yep. No doubt. Um, so you caught the bug, you caught the snow bug along the way. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Was it, what is it about the snow industry? Oh, well, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, when I talk about sales and, and how much I love it and what's exciting about it, like I could never go try and sell life insurance, right. Where you're like, somebody has a need potentially, and you're kind of guessing what their need is and, there's pressure to oversell snow is not the case that way. Right. Like you show me a property. If somebody's doing it for $8,000 a winter, it's probably about an $8,000 winter property and they need snow removal. Right. So it's this super altruistic. Um, everybody's kind of in the ballpark with pricing. Um, and, and what was re- what's really cool about snow too, is at the same time, you know, when, when, when I was working in it, um innovation was crazy right like there were no snow softwares when i started in 2010 mm-hmm. um containment plows were were there but not like not movable crazy stuff like with all the hydraulics they have now right there were no sidewalk machines right like they have now mm-hmm. um i mean when i started phil most people up here were de-icing with a sand and salt mix right Right. And, and that's not basically non-existent. Um, so it's, it's really, I saw all this change in the market and I realized there was so much innovation that could happen on the equipment and the de material and even the contract structures. And um, it was an opportunity to be a leader in that arena um, in this very altruistic space. Right. So uh, it was really exciting to, be on that bleeding edge and pioneer solutions, at least for the customers we were working with, if not the industry. Um, that, that was, that's cool. Yeah. So what led to your starting to think about making a move um, kind of toward that second part of your career into coaching and what you're doing now, you know, leaving such a, 
a great team and a great company is K Snow Management. Yeah. Um, kind of what what talk us through that like that transition. Where'd that come from, and 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 what were you thinking when you set up NeilGlatt.com? Yeah, it it um, was one of the toughest decisions of my career, and it wasn't even really something I thought about for a long time. Um, you know, I made that decision in about March of 2017. If you had asked me January 1st, if it was something I was considering, I'd probably say, no, I'm here for life. Um, so what changed? Uh, I, um, I had a really big failure as trying out to be in an operational role as opposed to just a sales role. I was in charge of a lot of people. I did a terrible job of managing and leading um, absolutely over my head. And um, I was working with uh, a new manager and I had a couple issues with them. Um, and uh, I wasn't sure where my growth and development was going to come next. Um, you know, we were in our office, we had this great operation I sat around and I kind of realized like we built so many great processes and enabled so many people around us that um, my contribution just wasn't nearly as significant. And about the same time, I had a, a great friend of mine um, who is self-employed uh, called me up and said, um, Neil, I, I'm wondering if you can help me in my business a little bit. And we started talking and, and I'd recently gone through um or I was, I was in the process of going through actually John Maxwell um, training and, and was being taught to be a coach through this training with the intention of using it at case. And uh, he asked me about this and, and I said, yeah, you know, I can maybe help you and, and didn't charge him. It was just something I was doing as a friend and started coaching him through his business. And what I found was the hour a week that I was spending coaching him was more fulfilling than the 60 or so hours I was putting in a case. Hmm. And when I stepped back to kind of evaluate what was going on, I realized, you know, maybe this chapter might be coming to an end here. And um, maybe I've built or contributed to building an organization that can survive without me, you know? Um, and so I thought about it, took a few months, talked with a few people and decided, yeah, you know, I think, I think I want to explore this coaching thing. And um, uh, when I decided, um, I talked with Jay about it and uh, we were flying back from visiting a customer and the customer was not super accessible. So we had like two long flights, you know, around the country and stuff. And um, we were talking on the plane. I said, Jay, I got to talk with you about this decision. And um, he says, listen, I, I know exactly where you're at, right? Um, he goes, it's the same thing I went through when I was basically your age with my father and my father's business, where you feel like you have this home and this family that you want to work with, that you want to be loyal to. But at the same time, you see this opportunity that's just built for you, right? That you've mm -hmm. got to take your shot at. And um, he goes, I know how tough that is. And he goes, he goes, go try it, go try it for a year, see how it goes. If you don't like it, just come on back. Right. Um, and we got to spend the next four or eight hours of traveling or whatever it was just 
um, having some drinks on the plane and laughing and reminiscing and talking about it. And I said, I'll, I'll stay here to transition as long as you want me to. Um, but I, I can't go through another winter with you. Cause I knew that if I started a winter, mm. then I wouldn't be able to leave till the end of the winter. Right. And then it would just roll into sales. And <laughs> I like sales too much. So I said, I said, uh, this was like March of 2017. I said, I don't care what my end date is. Um, you want two weeks, like that's fine. You want whatever. And we agreed that I would stay on, uh, for the summer and, uh, November 3rd, 2017 was my last day. So I had a, re- and, and that six month period, was so much fun, Phil. Hmm. Um, There's no pressure, right? Like, and, and to me, this is actually where I learned so much about management and what it could be. Um, because, you know, for most of my career, it was like, hey, you suck at this. You need to get better at it, right? And, of course, that's the performance, you know, um, development that we're taught, the coaching that we're taught to do as managers, um, but all of that went away because everybody knew I wasn't going to be here past November. Right. Mm. So people stopped saying like, dude, you need to improve at this long term," And they just started saying, wow, great job. Like you killed it here. Go do more of that before you nice. leave. And it turned into this super organic, what we call strengths-based conversation. And I had more fun. I had more success. Some of my biggest accomplishments were in my period of notice. <laughs> right. Mm. Um, yeah, and the pressure was off. The pressure was off. It was like, it was like a victory lap. We're accomplishing. I was selling a bunch of stuff. Um, and I was training people long-term um, every day. I would show up to work and just think like what gaps are going to be left when I leave and who can I train to improve that? And I was able to um, really invest in some people and set them up and they're still there doing great work. And to me, that was probably the most rewarding season and now one of the things I teach people is like, let's have this style all the time. I don't necessarily use those words, but let's invest in other people more. Let's get strengths based about our conversations more. And the results that my clients have as a result is just awesome. So yeah, good lead into the next question. So I wanted to hear a little bit about your coaching certifications and about your focus areas in your coaching business. Yeah. Um, I've got a number of certifications and <laughs> they grow because I'm always out there looking to learn, but you know what, I think what's important is what's my focus, right? So um, I use some Gallup products. I'm certified by the Gallup organization. And um, the number one thing I think I do for organizations is I assess employee engagement. So everybody wants engaged employees. Most people couldn't even define what engagement is, Right. And so from Gallup, we know that engagement is the extent to which an employee is involved in, enthusiastic about, and committed to their work in their workplace. So when people say, I want my people to think like owners, how do I do that? Do I give them some ownership? Do I tie their incentives? Like, no, none of that moves the needle. If you want them involved and enthusiastic and committed, then what we need to do is focus on these 12 items that Gallup has identified. And those are things like expectations are clear, using my strengths every day, growth and development opportunities. My manager seems to care about me. Um, I have a best friend at work. So it's all psychological. Hmm. So I have a survey that we do, um, which is so easy and affordable. It's like $15 an employee and just get an engagement score so we can actually start to compare ourselves scientifically and start to improve. And it's like, 
It's like a financial report, like you get from your accountant, but for your people. Mm, And imagine if you never knew there were financial reports, right? Imagine if you were completely blind and you, you were paid money and you spent money and then you had a bank account and the results were okay, but you didn't know how good or how bad or where you could improve them. There were, and somebody came to you and said, here's all the reports you can see. Your mind would just explode, right? Like what a game changer. That's what this is like for the people I coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, we, we, I spend time coaching the managers, helping them improve at that. And the other thing that I really do a lot of um, besides speaking and, and educating businesses and audiences about this need and how to manage their people and how to retain and, and, and recruit better is uh, sales coaching. And so um, I have, I, I work with a, a company here in Massachusetts that puts out the top sales assessment and um, we can test candidates and we can predict with 92% plus accuracy before we hire somebody that they'll become a top performer in their organization. Um, they're so confident there's basically a money back guarantee. And so I, I assess sales teams. I help do sales management um, with these companies and, and help them, you know, double or triple their sales over the course of, of a year. Mm-hmm. You also got the speaking bug. So you're, you're, you've, you've hit the scene over the last several years speaking at conferences and trade shows and association mm-hmm. meetings, doing webinars, all that stuff. Um, so a couple questions. Do so a lot of people are deathly afraid of speaking in public. So do you enjoy it? And, I, and how has it impacted you? So I, I do enjoy it. People always ask me, how do you do that? Right. Cause public speaking is the number one fear in America, even ahead of dying and being alone. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> right. So it's up there. Um, that fear I experience it, right? It doesn't go away. Uh, You still get it every time you step on the stage. Um, But the rush, that that adrenaline rush is fun for me. Um, And for me, again, when I can speak, I can, I can, you know, really expose hundreds of people to a new idea at once. Um, And of course now it's all webinar. It's even easier. And so um, I just did a webinar a little bit ago for, uh, 376 people and the feedback nice. is is phenomenal and, and people i'll never work with people i'll never meet are like you you made a difference in my organization mm. and so for me that's that's exciting it's huge yeah. yeah well i have a feeling you're going to accomplish uh many things in your career that you haven't accomplished yet um but what are you most proud of thus far you know, um, really, some of those one-on-one coaching things that I talked about, um, and I can point to specific people who I was able to help, and now that they, now they're in their dream job, now they are just their life is completely different. Not because of me, but I was able to be a small part of that. And um, I was just talking with one of the guys I coach. Um, the other day and he's like man you know between this assessment and our weekly chats he goes I just have this awareness and this ability and this is a guy who had a sales goal of six hundred thousand dollars he never met it um right now when I started coaching him I said you need a higher sales goal 
We pegged it at 800,000. He's probably going to exceed it this year for snow. Nice. And, and I said, what do you think your goal should be next year? And, and he says, I don't see any reason why it couldn't be 1.5 million. And I say, I wholeheartedly agree, right? You're absolutely able to produce at that level. And for me, I mean, that is, that is for him joy instead of fear on a daily basis um that's money he's able to put his kids through college with you know that is just the feeling like you belong in your job and your your vocation um instead of dreading every conversation with your boss or every time you have to pick up the phone that you know i'm proud of being able to help that yeah yeah it's huge and then how does um grow the bench and snow fighters institute how do they fit into all this well, you Aren't know, you busy like, enough. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, you know, what's what's really nice about Grow the Bench and, and Snowfires Institute again is I'm able to make a, a big impact and help people um without being in the weeds with them every day. And not that I don't like that, but it's expensive too, right? So what's nice about Grow the Bench is I have people who say, Neil, I really I like what you gotta say. I want to learn more. Um but I, I just can't afford one-on-one coaching. I can't afford the time. I can't afford the money. Um, is there any way you can help? And it's like, yeah, there are, I don't even know how many hundreds of hours of me recorded, right. Uh, chunked up and, and able to help you on grow the bench. And I, even for the people I do coach, it's like, Hey, that was a great 45 minutes. Here's your homework. Go watch me explain on video x y and z and get better at that area so um that's really fun and then snow fighters is just you know i went to snow fighters institute back in 2013 for their sales and marketing forum and that was really one of those points in my career where it was like yeah you can do a lot more right so i had this training i was on a good path when i started but we weren't on the map yet right we hadn't really done anything yet and then i went to the sales and and forum and spent those days with people who were professionally selling snow from all over the country and it was like what you can learn in two days when it's really structured well and and those relationships you build with each other um game changer and from 2013 to 2017 like we were just on fire um, and I really point to that as, as a point where it all kind of turn around. So, um, when the opportunity to acquire snow fighters came from, from John, I was like, this thing can't die. This, this, the industry needs the program right. way too much. Um, and John built such a great foundation and, and so exciting to carry that on. So mm-hmm. is a lot of work. Yeah, it is. But, um, for people who get to attend, um, and, and, you know, are able to get that value on, on the lower level of investment that they're able to do it for. It's like, how do you not give back to the industry this way? Yeah. And it's cool because you can see the common thread throughout all these endeavors, um, making a difference, helping people, changing lives. And, and it's just, it's just so pervasive there. And that's really cool, Neil. Um, and we could probably talk all day on these topics and go deeper and, and there's a whole bunch of questions I'm not going to have time for here, but, um, is there anything we didn't discuss that you want to talk about before we wrap up? Uh, I would just say, you know, I, I hear from people 
on a somewhat regular basis. Um, actually, sometimes I hear it from other people who are like, oh man, this guy was talking about you. Like they just love your content. They love what you put out. And it's like, that's weird. Cause they've never called me. And like my cell phone is on my website, right? Uh, my email's on my website. So the only thing I throw out there is like, Hey, if you are in a position where you're trying to make an improvement, you're not sure where to go. You like something I said, and you just want to talk about it more. You got questions. Like just call me. I'm accessible, very accessible. Um, that's great. My cell phone's with me all the time. Happy to take your call. Happy to chat with you. Um, one of the things I like doing, Phil, is just helping people find the right coach or consultant. And a lot of times that's not me, right? Yeah, right. Um, so I, I love being able to help people. And, and um, I'd say if you're, if you're looking for the next thing in your career, you want to, you're not sure where to go. Like, give me a shout. I'd be happy to chat with you. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Neil, thank you so much. Let's uh, leave it at that. And again, I just really appreciate you sharing all this information. And and I, I would also encourage um, any of you who are interested in chatting it up with Neil, uh, whether you engage him directly through his coaching business or just get dialed in to grow the bench or come out and check out one of the Snowfighter events or however you want to engage with us, get our weekly newsletter. We have a gr awesome newsletter that goes out to I don't even know how many hundreds or thousands of people that thing goes out to, um, depending on where we push it. But yeah, however you want to engage with us, I'd really encourage that. So Neil, thank you so much. And um, we'll leave it there. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening. We welcome suggestions for future guests or topics. Feel free to email me directly at phil at growthebench.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, become a subscriber today so you won't miss any future episodes. And don't forget to check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. Now go for it.